Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, how are you? All right, let's go. Romans chapter 6 is where we left off last week and where we pick back up. And we're going to look at the last little paragraph of Romans 6 verses 20 through 23. So if you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to grab one of the Bibles that is underneath the rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, as we say almost every Sunday, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You please take that and use it and let it be our gift to you. We'd love for you to to read that Bible and come back and connect with this church if you don't have a church or if this isn't the right place for you with another Bible-believing gospel-preaching church in our city. We're grateful that you're here. And we're going to have the scriptures that we're going to read up on the screen, but even if, you know, you have a Bible, or even if you're, well, you have a Bible, even if you can see the screen, I think it would be really helpful for you to have your copy of God's Word on your lap and look at it. We're going to stare at this paragraph, and we're going to zoom in on it in just a second, but before we do that, we're going to zoom out and just consider all of Romans chapter 6 so that we don't lose the forest from the trees here. And I want us to stare at the Word of God this morning, and I pray that He would do wonderful things as we look at His Word, as we see Christ. Romans 6 is is one of the most decisive chapters in the whole Bible in regards to the Christian life and living it daily and the the truths and the, the, the good news that God gives us to to actually live this life and to fight sin and to pursue holiness. And and I can't imagine living the Christian life without the truths that are in Romans 6. And so although we come to the end of it today, I I feel like I don't don't want to quite leave it behind. And so I want us to to stare at it and and we'll end in Romans 6 this this morning. And then um, we may take a little break before we dig into Romans chapter 7. Uh, but more to follow on that. I even said, don't say anything about what the next couple weeks, because I don't know where we're going. So let me just, just take that back. Forget the last 15 seconds. All right, here we go. Let me read Romans 6, verses 20 through 23 and pray, and then, and then we're going to zoom out and zoom in in this text. Paul writes, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free, in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, help us, I pray, to understand this text. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us by your spirit, through your word, your Holy Spirit that you have given to those that believe that resides in us, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit redeeming a people for yourself, the Father planning and the Son accomplishing and the Spirit applying redemption, filling your people. Now, 
speaking to us through your word. I pray that we would hear your word. We need this word. We, we are distracted and needy people. We're weak. We're frail. We're self-justifying. We're proud. And afresh again on this Lord's Day, October 15th, 2017, we, we need the dust blown off of our hearts. We, we need the mud wiped off the windshield of our eyes. We, we need to see Jesus afresh. We desperately need to see Jesus. We need to see what you have done in and through him. Help us now. For my friends that are believers, I pray that, that you would stir our affections and that you would put, put vigor and steel in our spine so that we can live for you. And for, for my friends that do not know you in this room, yet I pray, God, that you would make Jesus so, so altogether beautiful that, that he would eclipse lesser joys, counterfeit joys, and that you would save them and give them a new heart so that they can believe. I pray, Lord, that you would do all these things for the glory of your name and for the good of your people and for the salvation of all those that you have set your affection on in eternity past. May it be today that you would call them to yourself. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <laughs> yes! That's what I'm talking about, sister or brother. Teach the older ones. <laughs> Before we zoom in on verses 20 and 23, I don't want us to lose the, the forest from the trees. And so I want us to back up before we dig in to 20 through 23 and remember the context of what's going on in Romans chapter 6. So, so what is Romans 6 about? What is the question that Paul is taking up in Romans 6? Well, the question that he is, is taking up, that he is ask, answering, that he's anticipating, is the question, that really the critique of his gospel that he has laid out for us in the first five chapters of Romans, and that critique was this, that the gospel that Paul was preaching and writing to the Romans about, that was so radically God-centered, that that God is the one who saves us, that we are not saved by our works of righteousness, not things that we have done, but rather we are made right with, theological term being justified, that we are justified before God, not by our good deeds, but by faith alone, in Christ alone. And that faith that we must exercise in Christ isn't even something that we produce as if it's something that's inherent in us, but even that faith is a free gift of God that he gives a person when he saves that person. And that, that's called grace. And so this, this idea of how a man or woman or a person becomes right with the holy God in Paul's mind, which we know of now as the gospel, was so radical and so contrary to religion and man-made attempts at self-justification 
that it brought the charge against Paul that if that's the case, then doesn't your gospel that you're preaching, Paul, somehow maybe promote sin? Do you see the logic that, that, that people would have as they were considering Paul's gospel? They were saying that because the gospel is, is so contrary to what we thought, that somehow I'm made right with God by the things that I do, and if now it doesn't matter what I do, nothing I can do can atone for my sin, it's all the free grace of God, then, you see the possible objection? What does it matter what I do? So I might as well just... Do whatever I want. And if the grace that Paul is preaching about is so radical and so free and so God-centered, then, here's the twisted logic, then we might as well just sin more so that grace would abound more. And that's the objection that Paul is taking up in Romans chapter 6. And what is Paul's answer to that objection in Romans 6? Well, it is, a, it is a, a cannonball in the deep end of a no. He says, no. I mean, he, he springs on that diving board, gets up as high as he can, tucks his knees, and hits the water hard. And he says, no, when rightly understood, the gospel of free grace the gospel that we are not justified by our works, but by Jesus' work on the cross, and then the gift of faith that God gives us is, does not promote sin, but it actually promotes a new way of life, a, a new ability to pursue God. And he, he gives us really two, two answers, two two truths that we're to hold on to in the Christian life. And we see those two truths in all of Romans chapter 6. And so Romans chapter 6 is kind of broken down into two parts. Verses 1 through 14 and then verses 15 through 23. And he gives us these two pictures of the Christian life. And those are really the two answers that he wants us to hold on to as to why his gospel that he preached, this gospel of free grace, does not promote sin, but it actually enables a person to fight sin. And so what does he say? He really asks this question in verse 1. He says, look at verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And we, he answers that in, in verse 5 concisely. He says, no. In verse 5, this is why I say no, because if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the first answer that Paul gives to this question of does his gospel actually promote a sort of sinful liberty, he says no. Why? Because you've been united with Christ. Remember, we looked at that, that doctrine that we don't talk about much. It's this doctrine of union with Christ. And it it is so good and it's so glorious when, when I think about it and even when I preach about it, it's hard not to giggle with delight. And he, here's the truth, the doctrine of union with Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. It's really in the Bible. He's saying that this is the gospel. You were dead in your sins. That's Romans chapter 1 and 2 and the first part of Romans chapter 3. 
You're dead in your sins. There's nothing that you can do. The wrath of God was barreling down on you rightly for our sin because we are all like our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we inherit their nature and we are born into an inability, an inability to do anything to make ourselves right with God. And the wrath of God is barreling down on us and we're dead. But Jesus... The perfect son of God becomes a man, lives a perfect life, obeys God's ordinances and law where we could never do that, then lays down his life on the cross and substitutes himself. He, the theological word in Romans 3 is he propitiates. He, he takes the place of, he absorbs the wrath of God for his people. So now, think about what's going on here just within the Trinity. The Father is holy and righteous. We, his children, have rebelled, cut ourselves off from him. We're separated from him in our death and rebellion. And Jesus, the one true perfect son, comes lives the perfect life, God in the flesh, takes the place of his brothers and sisters and absorbs the wrath of God. He dies the death that we should have died. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 6, 5, that we are united with him in a death like his. So Jesus dies, absorbs the wrath of God for us, and unlike any other human that has ever lived, Jesus isn't just a good man. He is the ultimate man. He's the God man. So he has enough holiness to satisfy and extinguish and atone for and remove all the sin of all those that would ever trust in him. I've told you before, I'm a little bit of a infomercial addict. You know, just you just sit and watch those guys and remember the, the ShamWow cloth guy? Remember him? Billy with ShamWow cloth. And I'm, you know, I went through this little compulsive buying phase where like anytime there was some like magic to now the latest one that I'm really considering is the guy that has the tape like he cuts a boat in half have you seen that guy and and then he tapes it up and he's he's riding across some you know lake I I'm about to order a lifetime supply of that stuff but this guy with this shamwell cloth he would have like a two liter thing of coke and he would spill it all over this table, and this little rag just somehow or another just cleans up all of this mess. And, and the holiness of the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who has no beginning and no end, who, who not only is holy because he is God, but has actually achieved in time redemption, holiness as a man now comes. And now this is what propitiation means. Jesus propitiates, satisfies, cleans up, removes, extinguishes all the wrath that was ours on the cross. He died in our place for us. And Paul is saying that we don't continue to sin because Jesus has died to the consequences and the power of sin for us and he has risen again in victory over it. And Paul is saying, this is his theological point. He's saying that the gospel puts us into a relationship with Jesus where we are now united with him. That's what happens to us. We're united with Christ. 
God sees the people that he has saved and he, in time, makes them alive, puts them together with Jesus, and now everything, (laughs) this is what the Bible says, everything that Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection, we are folded into that. We're in that. It's ours. We're there. We're in him. He's in us. We're, we're knit together. We're, together. we're united with Christ. We're in union with him. Now, if Jesus has done it, God sees his people as having done it. And if Jesus has defeated it, we've defeated it. And if Jesus has died to it, we've died to it. That's the point Paul is making in the first half of Romans 6. He says, you've been united with Christ in his death and in his life. So you're in Christ. How, 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 can, how, can, you, how can you do anything else but, but fight sin and, and live in this way? That doesn't mean, hear me, that doesn't mean that Christians are sinless. I do not believe that like some well-meaning Christians, I think, believe in some sort of sinless perfection or some sort of instant sanctification. I don't believe in that because I know myself and I pastor a bunch of people. So I I not only have biblical evidence, but I have like experiential evidence. (laughs) It's not to say that Christians do not struggle with sin, but Paul is depositing this truth as a, as, a, as a weapon for us to, to fight sin. And he's saying this is ultimately the truest thing about you, that you're united in Christ. And remember this thing that we talked about as we worked through Romans 6, is that we must understand the Christian life is lived in a, in a sort of tension between the already and the not yet. In other words, things that are, that are true of us now, but things that we will ultimately become. And, and so we, we, we are... We are glorified, past tense, Romans 6. We're not only justified and sanctified, but we are, past tense, glorified. But we're not yet fully, we haven't realized the full measure of what we will be. So, so in, a, in a beautiful sort of way, we are becoming who we already are. And so he gives us this truth in Romans 6, not to say that a Christian won't ever struggle with sin. That's what we're going to get to in Romans 7. But he's saying that the truest thing about you to give you strength in your fight against sin now, know who you are in heavenly places. You, Christian, are united with Christ. You're in him. And so he says, no, you, sin should not be something that we are mastered by. And then in verses 15 through 23, he gives us a second no. He does his, he gets back out because this is what kids do when they do cannonballs in the deep end. I'm not saying Paul's a kid. I'm just saying this is what we do when we do cannonballs so Paul can do it too. He gets off and he does it again, right? And so Romans chapter six, verse 15, he says, what then? He repeats the question, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. So in verse one, he says, should we continue in sin? No, because we're united with Christ. He asks the same question again in Romans 15. Should we continue in sin? And he says, no. And his logic in verses 15 through 23 is because we have been set free. We were slaves of sin and now we're slaves of righteousness. So just contrast that with how 
we often think of the Christian life as if we're just kind of free to do whatever we want. Paul says, no, you have been rescued. You have been broke out from the jailhouse of captivity to sin, not to just sort of do whatever you want, but now you have been transferred from one master to the other master. This master led you into death and destruction. This new master, Jesus, is leading you into life and joy. And so do you see the logic of Paul's answer about the charge that his gospel was so free, so radically God-centered, that people were saying, well, what does it matter what we do? We'll just sin and let grace increase. And he says, no, you've misunderstood grace. You're united to Christ, and you have a new master. He's now your king, and you are his slave. But this master, this bondage, this slave ship actually leads you into joy. And so then let's pick up verses 20 through 23 and just work our way through it and we'll be done. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So that, that's an interesting way of, of saying things. What, what is he saying in verse 20? 20. He's saying when you were free, when you were slaves of sin, in other words, before, he's saying consider, he's talking to a Christian now, and he's saying consider your former way of life. When you were a slave of sin, he uses this interesting phrase in the second half of verse 20. He says you were free in regard to righteousness. What does that mean? I think what he's saying there clearly is, is that you were free, not in the sense that you were free to, to do whatever you want, but you were you were free in the sense that you didn't have any regard for righteousness. You didn't, you didn't care. And that, that's what a, a dead heart that's enslaved to sin is like. It, it, was, it was oblivious. That, that's the, the thought there. You are, were oblivious to righteousness. You didn't care. This is why I struggled with this when I became a Christian early on. This explains why I think non-Christians often sometimes seem happier than Christians because, in a sense, they're, they're free. They're free in, in, a, in a captive sort of sense from any, from any conviction. And sometimes when a person becomes a believer, they misinterpret these early feelings of the Christian life and now, strangely, they hear the gospel preached, they're convicted, they come to faith, and now it sends them into about six months to a year of flat-out misery, right? And they're confused. But actually, in a strange kind of way, that is an indicator of your new master. It's an indicator of your new king, so, so if you're in that place, dear one, if you're in that place of, of conviction and, and struggle, friends, let that be a kind of assurance to you that wrestling that you're going, with, going through right now is a kind of indicator of the new heart that you have. And you're, you're just now starting to realize that you were so bound and you are becoming who you already are. But, but Paul is saying here in verse 20 that the, the unbeliever, the person who's still in slavery to sin has a kind of freedom that this world would regard but as actually a kind of captivity because they're free they're oblivious to their 
to true joy and righteousness. And then in verses 21 through 22, Paul's just wanting us to look to the future. He says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which, which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul is, is encouraging us to stop and to take an inventory of our life. Stop and think about it. Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 16 says that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Paul is wanting us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so I think better said we should say that the Spirit of God is wanting us to consider, to look up, to think about where we are going and what path we are on. What fruit were you getting at that time? Think about it. Consider. Think about your past life and let, let a consideration of your past life be a kind of a kind of corrective, a kind of ammonia, a smelling salt underneath your nose to wake you up. Look where you're going and what it's producing. Um, years ago, you, you know where the Walmart Supercenter is over on Airport Thruway just down the street here? Well, years ago, um, there used to be just a, a regular Walmart there, and right next to it was a Sam's. Those of you that have lived in Columbus for a while, remember there was a Sam's Club right there? And one day, uh, I was walking into that Sam's Club. This must have been early 2000s. And there was two men that were kind of over by, in front of the Sam's, and they were kind of in an argument, and I was distracted by them. And I was, had parked my car in kind of the first row, and you know there's like that thoroughway right in front of the store. And I was walking into Sam's, and I was looking at these two guys distracted from where I was going. I was not looking where I was going. And I kid you not, I got ran over by a car. <laughs> this young lady was driving slowly, praise God, about five to ten miles an hour. I'm looking this way, not looking where I was going. And she's driving this way, not go looking where she was going. And just by the providence of God, I just happened to be lifting my, I was just on the balls of my feet, and I was lifting my right leg. She hit me, and it kind of threw me up in the air, and I popped up, and I landed on her hood. <laughs> and just by the way, I just happened to be standing. It didn't, like, break any bones or twist any joints or tear any ligaments. I just, in the moment's notice, I wasn't looking where I was going and before I knew it, I was on top of a young woman's car, and she was as shocked as I was. <laughs> because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking where I was going. And, it, and all of a sudden, I just get, just get hit by a car. And... The Holy Spirit is, is saying here through this text, he's saying, look, just look, just consider, consider, think about your life right now. Wh where are you going? What, look at the end of that pathway 
in that pathway. This, this way leads to life. This way leads to death. Look at verse 22. He continues on. He says, but now, but now you have been set free. Now that's more sovereign grace. Come on. It's not, not anything you did. There's no, there's no basis for pride here. You're not better than the next guy. You were dead. You've been set free. You were in the back of the prison cell. You didn't work your way out. You didn't come up with a plan. This is not Shawshank Redemption. You were broke out. You didn't carve. You didn't, you didn't, whatever the guy did. You didn't dig through the wall. You were in a fetal position in the corner doing a life sentence. And this is the gospel of grace. You were set free. Whether you were a four-year-old that came to faith at a very young age or whether you were 40 years old and you came to faith in every person that has ever come to Christ, nobody works their way into it. We've been set free and have become now Slaves of God. And now you are on a path towards joy. And the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and is in eternal life. So consider. Look at your life. See how you're walking. Look at it and let that be the motivation to keep you on this path. Because this path leads you into joy. And this path leads you into to death. Friends, let's just consider the way the Bible talks about the Christian life. It doesn't give us three or four steps to navigate through a Tuesday or a Thursday. It lifts our eyes out of mere temporary pragmatism and wants us to see these heavenly realities and it wants these heavenly realities and truths and gospel truths to anchor us so that we have motivation to fight. I think the point of this text is it will be worth it. Stay on that path. And then he ends in verse 23. He says a famous verse that sometimes we just sort of cherry pick out of the Bible. And sometimes I, I know that can be okay to do. I mean, my, oh, come on. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite preacher in the whole world that's outside of the Bible, you know, I'm Uncle Chuck, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He would just cherry pick stuff out of the Bible. Like he would just like, just, he wouldn't preach through books of the Bible. He'd just pick verses. He'd just do Bible roulette. Problem is, he was so stinking good at it. It was all awesome but I wouldn't recommend it. But sometimes we just pick a verse out and, and sometimes we do that with verse 23, but look at what verse 23 is doing. It's at the end of a chapter that's summarizing, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is wanting to that verse to be a kind of capstone on this whole point that he's making to the Christian who has been united with Christ, who has been set free. He's saying now, be who you are. It will be worth it. There's coming a day when it will all be worth it. Be motivated by the future promise of eternal life in Christ. Contrast that with the faulty theology of much of American Christianity that wants to make the Christian life all about here and now. No, the Holy Spirit is saying it will be worth it then. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Famous, have you heard of the famous marshmallow study with kids in 1970 out of Stanford? They put a little kid in a room with a marshmallow. And the scientist, the behavioral psychologist said, okay, Johnny, if you cannot eat this marshmallow in 15 minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you two. Johnny didn't do so good. <laughs> Most of the kids in this study just couldn't wait 15 minutes. They snatched up that marshmallow. And they found that the smaller percentage of kids who could actually wait 15 minutes and then get two marshmallows ended up actually being happier, healthier people, surprisingly enough. It reminds me of the time, uh, I think I've told you this story before, but my mom used to go grocery shopping every Saturday, I remember vividly, and she would buy us, my brother and I each, a Caramello bar. And a Caramello, I don't know if it's like a Mexican candy bar, if we have them here in America or not, but we had them in California. Um, but um, it was this big candy bar, and it was these chocolate squares that had caramel in the middle of it. And you, and you could break off each little, you could kind of enjoy each little one by itself, you know. It was like a little mini candy bar, like 16 little segments. And my brother would get his, and he would open it up, and in front of me, he would lick every square. <laughs> He'd wrap it back up and put it in the refrigerator. And of course, little kids, when your brother licks the kid, you don't want, it's like it's now contaminated and you don't want anything to do with it. But he had this special ability to delay his gratification throughout the week and just kind of eat one square a day. I, on the other hand, <laughs> was like Johnny in the marshmallow study, and I would eat my caramel bar right off the bat, and then I would seethe in anger because he had a little bit left throughout the week. And I think this text is not just some little verse here on the Romans road, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, as if that's disconnected from everything that's going on in this chapter. He's saying, no, the Christian life isn't merely about the here and now. It's about knowing that you're united with Christ, that you are free, and life is going to be hard, and so you're going to need all of these truths, and you're going to need this anchor of eternity that's pulling you to who you already are, so anchor yourselves to that. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes on Jesus and go for that greater reward. That's what Romans 6 is about. That's how we can fight sin. That's what this chapter is about. And that's how Jesus lived his life here on this earth. Let me just read as, as our ending here, just as a conclusion from Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to how Jesus obeyed God in his earthly life. Hebrews chapter 12, just, I'll just read verses 1 through 2 or 3. It says this, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So, right now, the, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is helping us fill in the blanks if we're wondering whether or not Christians still fight with sin, right? From Romans 6 and 7, he's helping us interpret that because he's saying that clearly there's this sin that clings so closely to us. Let us lay it aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? By looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And how did Jesus live his earthly life? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's, let's, let's unpack that for just a second and we'll be done. How did, how did Jesus fight the temptation to not obey God? And I know that's a, that's, there's a lot to that sentence, but Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. He's the perfect son of God. There's, there's a lot that we could say there. But how did Jesus, how did Jesus, he's the founder and perfecter, how did he live? By looking forward to the joy that was set before him, which I think is a picture of, in reference to the cross, that Jesus is enduring life on this earth, obeying God perfectly, by looking forward to the reward of the redemption that he would win on the cross. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that just as Jesus looked forward to that, then we should look to him and we should be motivated the same way that Jesus in his earthly life was motivated. And I think that's exactly what Romans 6 is about. Look forward, look ahead and be motivated by this truth that is already yours, that you will receive eternal life on that day. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we cannot overstate how desperately we need Romans 6. We have such tunnel vision. We have such nearsightedness. We forget the gospel. We have gospel amnesia. We can bask in these truths on, on a Sunday and and, and Wednesday, it just seems like we, we can't even remember who we are. Lord, help us to, to see the truths in this text. That through no work of our own, we've been united with Christ by sovereign grace. We died with him and we've been risen with him. We've been raised with him. And all of that came because of your grace. Nobody in this room is a Christian because of their effort or their education or their background or their upbringing. Although you may use things as means, all of us have been brought from death to life 
merely, simply because of your grace. And we have been let out of that slavery and joyfully transported into another slavery which leads to joy. So may we see that and may the, may the motivation of life and freedom from all of these temporary counterfeit pleasures serve to give us endurance in this day as we long for that day. Lord, I pray that you would do this in my life and in the life of these brothers and sisters that I love so dearly and for my friends that are in this room who do not know Jesus, Lord, may they not hear a false gospel today that they need to do better or try harder. May they hear that their only hope is that God is good and gracious and alone can make us alive and so would they finally let go of their own righteousness and self-justification and cling to the only hope which is Christ. and be made and transferred from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. Lord, would you do that, I pray, across this room for anybody who has not yet believed. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.